I know there is quite a bit of excitement in the air today, and I don't believe it's because we're observing the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost in ordinary time. There is nothing ordinary about All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, the, the ancient Celts knew as Samhain, a festival which marked the end of summer and which was thought to be a particularly thin time, a time when it was possible for the spirits of the other world to go back and forth to this one. Ancestors were invited home and evil spirits were warded off. And in time, this memory and practice was adopted by Christians preparing to celebrate the saints and the souls who had gone before. And so here we are dressing up as goblins and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. I heard a radio interview this week with the owner of a costume store and who assured us that the classics were still the most popular costumes. Adults apparently are going to be mostly witches and pirates and uh, children, superheroes, princesses, both Disney and traditional, he said, and otherwise rock costumes from the rock band Kiss for children. I thought, classic indeed. <laughs> I am getting old. Now, what did not get a mention, the idea did not get a mention of going out trick-or-treating as Zacchaeus, a truly scary tax collector. I know some of you were wondering how I was going to make this transition, and now you know. There you have it. So. <clears throat> the story of a despised, a richly and rightfully despised man finding himself being convicted and being led to repentance and newness of life in the presence of Jesus is not simply a story of a notorious sinner finding faith, although it is that. But once again, it's the story of the walls of Jericho coming tumbling down, just as in the days of old when God would not be stopped by fortified boundaries, now Jesus brings down any possible walls of resistance that he might encounter in Zacchaeus. Hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus had climbed the sycamore tree, probably knocking a couple of kids out of the way so he could get up there. This tax collector was still going to have a long, long way to go before he was accepted by the whiners in the crowd and before he was dealt in any way with the consequences of his actions in the past. But he's made a start. He's made a start. I imagine it was slightly controversial when he did the equivalent of showing up in church the next Sunday, head held high. Did you see him? Really? Was that harsh? It's extraordinary. But for us, for us, he becomes a sign that the deepest divisions, even the deepest enmities, can be overcome with real humility and in the grace of God. Now, with this in mind, I've been worried in recent weeks and months by more and more polls suggesting, in fact, the last one said almost 60% of Americans view Muslims with suspicion. The problems that ensued for Juan Williams, the journalist who admitted discomfort at seeing Muslims boarding an aeroplane, have to do with policy decisions at NPR and Fox, respectively. But what Mr. Williams said apparently resonates at some level with a lot of people, in fact, most people in this country. I had a conversation with a friend who's established an interfaith center in Richmond, Virginia. 
and he thought we should be doing more to understand the basic tenets of Islam. He wanted to put on a program so that we could learn about the basic tenets in Islam. And if you don't know the basic tenets of Islam, it is a good thing to do. If, however, you already know what the seven pillars are and you already know basically what Islam's supposedly about, then that idea doesn't really take us anywhere. Insight doesn't necessarily change behavior. Uh, understanding an idea doesn't necessarily change how we feel about each other. So I countered to him that I thought that learning more was fine, but what we, rather than learning about Islam, what we really need to be doing is finding ways to befriend Muslims, to get to know not so much the idea, but the people. And how can we do that? How can you do that? Who do you know, if anyone, who follows Allah. Now certainly, personal relationship will be part and parcel of moving beyond enmity and suspicion. Jesus stayed with the tax collector. It was personal. Part of the breaking down of barriers is always personal. But before we think that's easy, or before we get romantic about this new unity being a simple matter of God's grace alone, I want to tell you the salutary tale told by a man called Gary Burge, who's a professor at the Evangelical College of Wheaton, Wheaton, Illinois. And he told the story in, in an article in the Christian Century magazine of being involved in an evangelical Muslim discussion group, which often takes him to the Middle East. And on a recent trip to the Middle East, didn't say where or if he did, I don't remember, he told of being in a university classroom and one person, a young man, uh, opined that anything that was not Islam was wrong and that anything that was wrong must be got rid of, excised, punished. Well, the conversation started fast and furious and, and Burge couldn't keep up. His translator couldn't keep up. The Arabic was going so fast. And eventually the class ended. And as he was leaving the room, he noticed that young man who was unpersuaded, apparently, by all this argument, being surrounded by five young women, his peers, all wearing the headscarves and clearly not letting him move until we'd had a little more time to talk about this. And, and he noticed that. He flew back to Chicago, and he got off the plane, and he had a taxi driver from Pakistan who said, where have you been? He told him where he'd been. And he said, oh, gosh, that must be wonderful. It's so difficult living here. Why? Why is it so difficult living here? The good doctor asked. He said, well, but it's, it's not a Muslim country. It's so hard when, when you're confronted by sin and evil and Western values all the time. And he said, like what? He said, like bikinis. <laughs> okay, then. But he said, and, and, and what should happen? He said, well, it's wrong. If it's wrong, it must be punished. And Dr. Burge said he sort of expects that at some level from people who aren't educated, but he was really worried to be hearing it in a university setting. And, and what he concluded with the article was remembering those five women surrounding that young man in that university class and taking him on. And, and, and my words for his conclusion, not his, is that the barriers will only be broken down by personal relationship within our circle of influence, those places where we know and are known. And I wonder how we can expand that circle of influence so that we can be 
proclaimers and makers of peace, that personal relationships are so critical, whatever policy and structure and politics surround and support those relationships. Of course, in order to engage such relationships, we have to know who we are. It's really hard to engage if you don't really know who you are. I'm always telling my friends in Africa who are terribly concerned about the, the spread of Islam over against Christianity, they don't need to become more legalistic. They need to become more powerfully preaching the gospel of grace and love and hope and not the gospel of law and rigidity and so on. And, and, uh, and it's very tricky. So here we spend a lot of time. What our Sunday school about is about is learning the story, learning who we are, learning what shapes us, learning what really matters to us. And if we're not teaching the story to all these wonderful children in this choir when they're in Sunday school, then we're not doing our job. Whatever else happens, we're telling the story. And for adults, we spend time and resources deepening our own appreciation for our faith and keeping it lively and keeping it life-giving, partly through finding groups of friends where we can be safe and explore and and grow in knowing who we are so that we can then pay attention to those challenging relationships near and far that hone us and shape us and challenge us. One more contributor to this spiritual work is our context. And we are blessed to be in a context where we are free to worship to remember what is of ultimate worth, what really matters. We're free to do that largely in peace. And we're free to do it because we're in a a country that, that is founded on democratic ideals. And while democracy is not in the Bible, it nonetheless admits of those biblical principles that are always seeking to overcome enmity and division one against another. Because what democracy is at some level is a mechanism by which we can hope to avoid rigid extremism catching hold, rigidity that cannot cope with difference. Every two or four or six years, we have the chance to affirm or renegotiate how we are to be together, what is just, what makes for peace, and so on. We cannot admit to difference without some such mechanism, or we're condemned to everlasting warfare between opposing rigidities. My way is better than yours. You're wrong. You must be excised. You must be obliterated. Or the simple dominance of one group imposing its power on another by some means of force. And so an important practice of being a citizen, not exactly being a Christian, but being a citizen in this country is exercising the right and privilege of voting. And I hope you treasure it. And I hope you make use of it in the days to come if you haven't already. It's part of how we can hope to continue to be a worshipping community, growing in faith, engaging through and by engaging God and our neighbor where it's safe and where it's not. So the story of Zacchaeus, this man of short stature up his tree, it's about the possibility of the unimaginable happening in the grace of God. Now, the radical change did not happen without work on Zacchaeus' part, and it happened over and in spite of the grumbling and whining and opposition of others. But this story is also the story of real and reasonable and holy hope for a world that is marked often by rigidity and extremes and enmity 
and it's a story that such hatred is not the last word. The last word of love, the way it's put in today's gospel, is that the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. And so let's respond to the gospel as we always do in silence and in prayer, perhaps acknowledging those of whom we are suspicious, those whom we fear, those who we'd really rather not be around, those who make us afraid and ask grace to be relieved of those fears through growing friendship and all in God's good time. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.